Hi, my name is Roger LeMay. I'm the President and CEO of UX Corporation. We're one of Canada's largest uranium junior exploration and development companies with the, probably the only real wide portfolio that's going to be sustainable in the uranium space over the next couple of cycles. We have, uh, we will own 31 projects uh, and, and six of the next 10 uranium development projects in Canada will own stake in. Uh, and we're looking to continue to grow the company through new discoveries on top of these production-ready assets. Hello, Roger. Good to see you again. I haven't seen you since beginning of May. How have you been? Doing all right. It's been been a hectic couple of months since we talked last. But <laughs> we noticed. Doing all right. We noticed. Well, like that's, that's why I want to talk. That's why I want to talk. Because last time we spoke, you had announced the JCU deal and the intent to do the JCU deal. And it's been a bit of a tumultuous roller coaster uh, affair and I think people are curious as to how that all played out well we kind of know where you got to but I wouldn't mind looking at the journey to where you got to because there's a lot of moving parts there so if you if you're up for that maybe um we can talk about that first then we'll get on to you know what's going on uh, on the ground drilling etc etc um so why don't we kick off so the original deal when we spoke you there's a press release came out uh, and said that you were going to uh, acquire JCU. Why don't you give us the details and I'll pick it up from there. Okay. So for those who don't know, JCU is a, lot, a company that is just a little bit older than UX. Started in, in the year 2000, they picked up a bunch of Japanese assets from a company called PNC uh, that was a legendary global uranium explorer. And they had a, a plethora of really good assets in the Athabasca Basin. Uh, JCU was sort of the, the successor to all those assets. And uh, their parent company, OURD, this year decided it was time to, to sell these assets off. Uh, their minority stake position in 12 uranium projects, four of which are either mid-stage and three, two of the three are actually you know, ready to develop projects or close to being ready to develop projects. And we were, we got pretty excited. We, we read, they reached out to us about our, our interest in December. We, uh, on Christmas Eve, we came to some sort of idea of what terms would look like. We got to an EOI, an EOI, a final EOI, uh, in late January, uh, and then worked through to a specific, per, or I would call it a, a share purchase agreement for JCU that was announced on the 22nd of April. Uh, a lot, a lot for about $12.5 million, which was an exceptional price, just a little under 10 cents a pound at the time. Uh, the price was set back in Jan or in December, basically, when the rainy market was in a very different spot than it was today. And while it was still a really good deal now, it becomes an even more exceptional deal as the year went on. Uh, it was a pretty, it was a, it was a binding agreement. Uh, with the only out being that shareholders at the OURD had to approve the deal, which is pretty standard corporate governance uh, stuff. Uh, we tried to, and our very best, um, you know, to of course have the deal announced and signed, closed right then and there. Uh, they had to put 29 of the largest utility and mining and banking uh, companies and traders in the same room, the CEOs or the or some of the senior officers or chair of the board in one room at the same time to have this shareholder meeting. And they said, ah, you know what, we can't do it sooner, but we'll give you our word that we're not taking any other offers along the way. And we tied it down so that they couldn't, and they were happy to do so. Uh, shortly after the announcement, of course, Denison came out with a very unusual situation where they announced that they would like to make an offer and put it in the public domain, which is not something you'd normally see happen. And it was a very fortuitous act on their part because the way we tied down the agreement without being able to put down uh, lockup agreements was that they couldn't talk about any agreements or any offers they received along the way. 
but because that was a public disclosed document, the shareholders have already, of course, heard about it, and therefore the cat's out of the bag. And from that point forward, uh, things, you know, start, I wouldn't say unraveled, but it certainly became less certain than what we were hoping for, uh, up leading up to the week of June 11th, the 18th, where we did the deal with Denison. Okay, so there's, there's a few bits that I think is important for people to understand, including myself, is so th these 29 share, large shareholders, I mean, when we say large, what are we talking about? Um, groups like TEPCO, Mitsubishi, Mitsu Bank, Itachu, Sumitomo, you know, some right. of the big, big players in, in Japanese industry. Right. So I'm guessing that the smallest of those 29 would outsize you by some considerable distance. So these, these are important Japanese oh, entities. Several right? orders of many. Right. Several orders of Right. So I mean, you don't just sort of whip them into, into a boardroom that easily. No. I suspect, not because you want to buy some some small aspect of a URD. Um, okay. So why, why I'm asking these questions, I'm, I'm, I think it's important for people to understand all of the moving parts. You're not in control of all the moving parts, and lots of people involved in this will have different sets of needs and drivers at different stages of this process you've been through. Okay. So I want to be fair to you, but at the same time, I want to understand, could you have done it better? Okay. So yeah. you're, you, okay. So these 29 uh, Japanese shareholders um, could not be put, you could not come together any sooner than they did. You had to, you were obliged to put out a public statement saying, because it was, it was a meaning, meaningful, um, uh, God, what's, what's the phrase you guys use? Closable events, material transaction. Right, material transaction. Okay, so you had to disclose that. At that point, you're vulnerable because you've yes. just announced to the world what you've been doing behind closed doors to get this deal done, right? Yeah, and and if uh, normal things had happened, nobody would have ever known there was another offer on the table because usually what would happen if you know if I want to have do a deal with you, I'm going to come to you and say, hey, I'd like to do a deal with you. You want to talk to me? I wouldn't send you a press release saying, hey, I want to do a deal with you about for the, with this much money. Will you talk to me? Uh, and that's what Denison did. Um, I, I can't say why they did, but they did. Uh, but it certainly got what it, what our deal was, was tied down and was ironclad because if, if they had Denison had sent them the agreement and said, Hey, we want to talk to you, they would have, the, the Japanese would have had to go, mm, can't hear you, can't see you, uh, can't talk to you. And nothing would have happened and we would have got to the shareholder day. But because they put it in the public domain, their shareholders were aware. And the only out that they had, to get out was if shareholders didn't approve. And so now the shareholders are aware that we have a deal on the table for $12.5 million, but someone's willing to offer $41 million. And it's pretty, you know, at that point in time, it comes down to whether they're going to uphold what they've agreed to or whether they're going to find a way out. And I think from that point forward, as we got closer to June and the shareholder date, we started to get a sense that there was at least some people over there on the shareholder group, group that really wanted to see what that they could maximize more, even more value than the debt. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to that. We will. I, I just I just want to cover all the moving parts here. Okay, so the agreement that you had in place with JC, it's a $12.5 million agreement. There's, it's it's nothing. It's t Well, for you, it's it probably meaningful, but for that, it's nothing. Why would that have to go to a vote? Such a small, tiny, inconsequential deal. Could you not have forced their hand and just say, look, just want to take it or leave it. This deal's got to happen. No. We certainly tried. I'm not going to say we didn't try. Uh, we certainly definitely tried to do that. And, and under their corporate governance 
documents, they had they had several things they had to, to follow through on. So one is they, they're not allowed to sell the company. It was in the bylaws without having share, a shareholder vote. So regardless, period, that had to happen. But they also had to go along the way and get, you know, there was two ministerial approvals required in Japan for this to happen. They had to get that done. Uh, they also had to talk to the Japan Atomic Energy Agency because there's those liabilities that expire in 2030 and they had to be okay that while legally everything was there, you know, Japanese companies tend to have, to, they, they feel morally obligated to do what the government tells them to do to a certain degree. And so if the Japanese government or the agency said, no, we're not willing to let you do this, there would have been a moral dilemma. So they had to go through all those clearances uh, from the time we made our, our, from our, our EOI or sorry, before the UI, going back in January, they started that process and had to get those all lined up by April, which they were managed to do. So yes, uh, at the end of the day, even if we wanted them to vote that agreement right off the bat, they couldn't, they still would have been open-ended to those other Japanese approvals that were required that were not related to the company or the okay. itself. Okay, and just to be clear, that's your dog Coco in the background, not uh, UEX shareholders. Well, it could be both. Could be both. <laughs> Quite make it out. Is that that's poor Coco who we saw just before we started filming? Yeah. Okay? Not as my other dog, who uh, who just will lie there passively and be happy. Oh, there you go. Right. Okay. So, so, so that that's that's the situation there. So, um, is there any way that the discussions that you've been having could not have been classified as a material? Uh, to the, I did you have to put out the press release? Uh, yes, material transaction. Uh, if we wanted to, we did. Sorry, we wouldn't have had to put it out if we didn't have to finance it. So that was the bottom line. If we didn't have to finance it, we could have waited till it closed and then put things out. But because we had to finance it, uh, we can't. You can't raise money even through private placements without material information being fully disclosed to the public market. So yes, that was the only way we we could have done it. Uh, okay. we, and and I mean. There are a couple other ways you could have potentially maybe got around it. Borrowed money, which we didn't really want to do uh, at the time. We were not a, we're not a cash flowing company, so we could have borrowed money, and it would have been a gray area subject to securities commissions approvals whether we had to disclose it. So okay. chances are, ninety five percent. Even if we did that, we would have had to disclose it anyway. Right. Okay. And then um, with the ghost tea, I mean, then the, the cat's out of the bag. Denison's been made aware because you, you've issued a public statement. You said in your public statement that um, JCU, you'd been in discussion for months, and I think it was well known that they've been looking to offload for months. So why wasn't why did Denison only just figure out that what was going on? Well, I don't know for sure. I only can provide discussions with them. Is it to they they were not offered the opportunity to bid on the company? I mean, I know there was at least three other companies that had an opportunity. I don't know why uh, they weren't given the opportunity to bid. They certainly know each other uh, really well from the time of Weeder River, and, and they're in four other joint ventures together. Um, you know, there there is a history there, and it wasn't the best history. But at the end of the day, uh, we have a really close relationship with them over time. Uh, I go back with OURD and JCU since uh, 2003, four. Uh, managed their joint ventures when I was at Cameco uh, for many, many years, including Millennium. So they, they know us really well, and they know that I know that they offered them up to some of the bigger companies out there. And uh, for some reason, either they didn't move fast enough or they didn't uh, get when we made our first offer, we gave them what they wanted and a little bit more. Okay. And again, we'll come back to that because, of, you know, that was an extraordinary deal. It was certainly, you know, 
looking at today, what was eventually paid, that, that was an extraordinary deal. Um, so Denison played it the only way they could. They had to make a public statement. They, they, didn't, they didn't know that, though. I, I kind of like it, like it, but they were in the centrifuge blindfolded and came out and had to thread a needle after walking out of the centrifuge. They did it, and they did it right, but they didn't know they had to go that way. Oh, that's interesting. I Right, because I know JCU, they, they, they couldn't talk to anyone. You made sure of that in your agreement. But did Denison, had Denison tried to reach out and have a conversation with their JV partner about this thing? My understanding was that the first news about their interest was the press release they put out on, the, I think it was the 5th of May, give or take a day. And right. they, hadn't, they hadn't had discussions before that, or certainly that's what the Japanese told us, and I have no reason to, to disbelieve that. Okay. Well, it seems strange to me. They've got four JV projects, and they decide to. You said they know they know the people concerned. They could have picked up the phone, but they've they've gone straight to public press release about we're interested in buying you. That's odd, isn't it? <laughs> it's definitely odd, and I have uh, I have my thoughts on that, which I will keep to myself. I'm afraid. Okay. 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 We'll just speculate. Um, <laughs> Okay, so they did that, um, at which point your options just shrank, okay? Because OURD, according to you, um, uh, those directors rep uh, represent shareholders of OURD, hold the majority of the OU shares of the OURD. UEX is confident that the shareholders of OURD will approve the UEX agreement. That's what you put a statement out saying. So you believed, because you had this agreement, it was cast iron and there was nothing that Denison could do, but it didn't turn out like that. No, and 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 because we had the agreement and the things that were in it, uh, at the end of the day, while I'm sure the Japanese will will disagree with us, we think you know there was a possibility. That we were pretty comfortable saying that they had violated pieces of that agreement, uh, but proving it, knowing and proving are two different things, and. At the end of the day, when we get to the finish line, uh, I'm certain that we could have gone the legal route uh, and got what we were, what we agreed to. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure it was not certain. That's that the only thing is certain was it wasn't certain. Uh, trying to get those companies to tell you what they do know and don't know, and in today's age, uh, it's very easy to have a discussion that's not uh, necessarily. Uh, documented in, in the public domain. So we did, we just didn't feel that we wanted to tie up our management team, our board, our capital, and raise money from shareholders to fight a legal battle uh, when the option was to go 50-50 with Denison and get these assets at 42 cents a pound, which is still an exceptional price. It's, it gives us immediate access to, you know, to the next three development projects in the Athabasca Basin. And yeah, while we like to own a bigger percentage of it, we're still getting access to it. And it puts us into that, uh, firmly into that developer category, for sure. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I think that's a point worth worth making and, and saying it loud is the fact that once you, once you go legal with these things, the costs are ridiculous. And we're talking two, three, four years. That's even if you, if it goes well, right? So you, I, I get you don't didn't want to be distracted, and you didn't want to, because you've got a business to run, um, and that, that 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 makes sense to me. Okay, I just want just want to say we because we as part of our you know weekly uranium show on Cox Investor, we we um, we talked about this. You know, it's this sort of sequence of events, and where we what we concluded after the Denison uh, press release came out it was like, 
here are, here are five options, but the most sensible is a gentleman's agreement. It would be uh, expensive to, and foolish to do anything else. And at the, at the end of the day, uh, uh, I heard that on day one. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think until we got closer to the finish line, uh, we were we were comfortable. When I say comfortable, we were never un- we were never comfortable after you hear about nothing like that. I think uh, our financial advisor at Sprott said it best that most people don't act against their best economic interests. So you know that's going to be a tough one. But I thought there was. We, I think our team thought there was still a really good chance till we got within that uh, week and a half, two week period away from from the shareholder vote that we were still on top, and and only when the wheel started turning at the Japanese end and we started having this, we had three times a week discussions with them from April on, but it, the narrative started to change and that started to make us extraordinarily nervous. And, and well, let's, let's, let's talk about exactly what you mean there. You, you say, and I think Spot's comment is, is right. When money's involved, people do strange things. So if there's more money on the table, it gets shareholders to thinking, right? So 12 and a half million just became 41 million. Why can't it become a hundred million, et cetera, et cetera? There's now competitive tension as discussion in the market. Is that what was, is that the sort of language you were hearing from the Japanese side? Was that probably? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, we we certainly, we certainly didn't, you know, sit there and say, we're sticking to 12 and a half million come hell or high water, no matter what. And we were very aware that more money might be needed. And we were very aware that we said, hey, what if we did this? What if we did that? And, you know, they, we didn't get positive responses along the way. And which was surprising because we weren't asking for any more, they weren't taking on any more risk. Uh, and, you know, some, I think some of the narrative that we heard from their management team and from, from other groups tied to is it, yeah, there was, a, there was, a, you know, how much is this really worth? Uh, in, from their point of view, how much should, should should we just, you know, not that we don't like you, but maybe we, you know, there's talk, maybe we should turn down the deal and, and run a new process. Mm. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, we got it for a great deal. Uh, I'm not sure financially whether this company is in a position to do a 70, $80 million uh, scenario, uh, which was possible in depending on who the bidders were. I think at the end of the day, what they found out is that there was only two bidders in town, uh, Austin Dennison, and that neither of us were willing to go higher at any point in time. And that's why they eventually agreed to the, the price that they agreed to. Okay, well, let's, okay, let's, talk, let's talk about the, the newfound partnership with, with Dennison then, okay? So you, you, I guess you're, well, I guess even up to the last minute, we, we, a little bit of you thinking, I, maybe I can get this deal done myself. Maybe if as long as I match the Denison deal, it'll be okay because they, the JCOU and OURD have some moral obligation to us. Was that part of your consideration? And did that affect your negotiations or discussions with Denison? Oh, I, I don't know if I can confirm or deny that. <laughs> oh, you've been watching too many movies. Uh, <laughs> Okay. No, I mean, we, we certainly did reach out to them saying, what would it take? Uh, and the Japanese end of things. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, we, we didn't, uh, we were really surprised that uh, what we did offer them wasn't accepted. And it made us, made us think, you know, uh, it was, they were thinking that substantially thinking they could get substantially more. And, you know, uh, I know for us, we were probably, we could have done a little bit more than what we're paying now. Uh, and I meant for the, all of it, 
Uh, could we have done the, the, the current deal on our own? And I, yes, we could have. Uh, the, but if we got into $60, $70 million range, we couldn't have. Uh, I don't think we could have put that money together um, and had a competitive offer and fi- our financially been able to do it realistically as well. So it was very important for us to hold the line at the, at the $41 million mark. It was very important. Okay. Before I forget, did you have the money lined up, the 12 and a half lined up? Was that everything ready to go, just waiting for the Japanese oh, yeah. to press the button? You did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. Let's get on we, to the we had, we had it lined up days after our announcement. Right. That's got a sting of it. Certainly did. Okay. Let's... <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk about Dennis and how you how that relationship looks like because they want what you were doing. They wanted all of it. You wanted all of it. Gentlemen's agreement was most sensible for for all all three parties. Quite frankly, um, how long was that? Who approached who? How long were those discussions? How quickly did you get to the deal? Because the, the the deal I want to talk about in a second. But how, how long did that take? Uh, they approached us. On a Thursday afternoon, we started discussions on a Friday afternoon, and by Sunday at midnight, we had a deal. It went that quickly, and then on okay. the two following Tuesday, we announced the deal. So we had to put the dating lawyers to put together uh, uh, what required on the disclosure point of view, but it was extraordinarily quick. So that tells me it was a good deal for both sides. Yes, and both sides left something that the other side wanted, and and both sides didn't get everything that they did want, but they got key things that they did want. So, was there anything any other split than fifty fifty on the table at any point of time? No, on either side. Need, you know, certainly, we didn't want to be the minority partner after doing all the work that we've done. Uh, nor do we want to be in a situation where we're having you know we're already in a minority stake ownership position with these assets. We didn't want to be in a minority stake or minority stake. And I think they were very much the same way. Uh, so 50-50 isn't always the optimal scenario, but in this case, it was the optimal scenario today. Uh, and there, okay. there are provisions for financing in the future. We're going to finance through issuing shares privately to the to the two shareholders. Uh, and if someone decides along the way that they don't want to participate, then there's a dilution ability. They're like, very much like a joint venture. So it, it's, but I don't think either party has an interest in diluting any time in the near future. Sure. Uh, I think the assets that both parties think are near and dear to each other are ones that we want. Um, of course, Denison's Wheeler River is really important to us. You know, five percent versus ten percent for us in, in direct interest, a little less so. But having access to, to that shorter term production is important. The the gem for sure for us, and I think also for Denison, is Millennium going forward. Uh, that's you know, with Cameco's next development project. Neither party wanted to be to to be in a different control position than that. We've put provisions in the agreement uh, because both Denison and UX are operators of JCU projects already through joint ventures, us at Christie, them at Wheeler and at Waterfound, that neither could deadlock the other. So that they, for example, you know, our fear would or their fear was, well, we'll make them dilute at Christie Lake by voting down Christie Lake, JCU's Christie Lake funding their obligations. And our course was at Wheeler River, where we don't want them to say no. Uh, and we forfeit our Wheeler River interest to them. So both parties recognize that was important. So we've got that provision in our shareholders agreement that neither can dilute if it cause, or neither can cause a deadlock of funding if it causes dilution or forfeiture of a property. So we're, we're in a good spot. We're in a good, good spot. Yeah, it's interesting. The only thing I, I didn't see anything. One of the things I didn't see happening was actually Denison putting the money up um, for you 
to make the acquisition, and the and the terms seem fine. They're not punitive, so again, it seems seems quite amicable. So, do you want to talk us through how how that works? Remind people how that works. Yeah. So the way it works is that uh, they're if necessary, they'll put up all the money to make the purchase uh, here at the on August third at the closing date. Uh, UEX can elect it to put our money in instead. If we don't and let them fund it short term, we get interest-free loan for three months. And then after that, it's 4% interest for six months. Uh, and of course, we have to put up our share of JCU as collateral against any forfeiture, uh, which is pretty reasonable. And, and you know, Denison was pretty firm on this from a uh, for the agreement for the amendment that we sent through to J to J to OURD, excuse me, to get the approval. Uh, they wanted it to be absolutely known without a shadow of a doubt that the money is there. So there's no reason for those shareholders that we were ready to turn it down. Now, you know, I'll be fair. We, we, we were, we were lined up to do that if necessary too. Uh, and, you know, our view would be to maybe, maybe we do use their money. Maybe we don't. We certainly do not want to use it long term. You know, we, we were looking to do something sooner than later, whether we can close a deal for financing prior to the closing of JCU or just very shortly thereafter. That's our intention. So, so th- th- this is four percent annualized, right? Correct. Right. Not Correct. Br- we're not bridging here, so we just want to check because no. it wasn't clear, no. kind of clear. Okay, very, very much. So. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, but you would like to remove that. What do you think? You, what terms do you think you could get if you went out to the market? I mean, you, you had a bit of money lined up previously. What sort of terms are you looking at? I think you look at what's out there recently. I think we're looking at probably about the same thing. So you're probably looking at a. Uh, we're looking, of course, Canadian, Canadian, this is all hard dollars. So for those of you who are thinking we're going to put flow through into this, well, no, you can't. It's not eligible for flow through. So hard dollars, and the question will be whether it's a half warrant or not a half warrant attached to it. Um, that's that's what's up for debate, I would think, right mm-hmm. now. And right now, flip a coin. The market is certainly changing that way. Depends how how many people are into it. We're, trying to, we're going to try to keep it... Uh, um, we're going to fund our share of the obligation and probably what we need to get through to the end of 2022, which is what we were planning to do originally when the deal first went to fall apart in the first place. Okay. So if you, yeah, absolutely. So, right. It's amicable. It's 50, 50. You're going to be the manager on, well, actually what, what, what have you both agreed? Yeah, we are going to be the manager. Uh, we're going right. to be the manager day-to-day operations we're going to get a very nominal fee plus whatever our expenses are will be a but we'll run it like a company private company between the two companies uh, there'll be an annual budget approved uh, based on our expenditures and the cost to run the company uh, we have obligations from an accounting point of view back to the to japan atomic energy agency just so they keep track of their their liability uh, i'm you know, we haven't finalized some of the smaller details about who who represents who on what joint venture meetings, but I imagine it's going to be co-managed that way um, because it makes sense for both parties to have representation on joint venture agreements or joint venture meetings and, 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 and such decisions. But it'll be a board of directors, two from each uh, JCU and, and or excuse me, two members from Denison, two members from the UX. Uh, and they'll make they'll be making those decisions about how to manage the company. Okay, so you you've got the ability to extend the loan term by an additional three months. Correct, four percent. So you're going to have to go and raise some money, mm-hmm. and we talked about maybe what that that could cost. No, you know, is and how how are you going to do that? I mean, really, do you want to make this available to the general public, like retail investors, or do you just go? Just a private placement. I mean, what, what, what's the best thing you think 
we're going to go private placement route right now. Uh, it's, uh, Why? It's Why? Two, two reasons. One, we don't have a shelf prospectus up and running because we're updating our existing 43-101 at Horseshoe Raven because we, we think there's a risk there that if we think we're prospectus eligible, but it's always possible that every, a 10-year-old PEA might be considered dated and they want it updated. So we're not going to, we're going to go private for private placement route right now. Uh, I do, you know, we do have had a lot of actually, since we've made the announcement, a lot of people who were interested in the original opportunity have come back to us, say we'd like to be involved in the new one. Uh, and so I don't think it's going to be very hard to get to the finish line on a, on a, on a, on a financing. We do like to keep it relatively tight. Um, okay. Right. Now, I think so, so that's, that's, 21 million bucks plus something. Yeah, but there's going to be a retail component to that because we're not going to get to the finish line without a good retail component. Good. Okay. But you don't know yet what that looks like or you've not had thoughts. Do you understand the quantum? Yes, we do because we're going to need the 20 and a half million of our share uh, and we want to be through to the end of next year. So it's going to be in that 25 to $30 million range. Got it. Understood. Okay. Makes sense. We don't want to come back to the market in the fall and say, hey, we just did a financing uh, or early in 2022 and say we need some more money. Again, you know, we really try hard to keep it reg- you know, somewhat regular and, and, and space out. Uh, our, our mantra has always been raise what you need, not what you can. I know that's a little bit different than most companies out there who take money whenever they can, but we're just looking at it saying we, we need somewhere in that quantum to get us through to the end of next year. JCU will come with some money in the pocket as well to help pay some of their expenses through to the end of the first quarter of next year. Um, but we do have some things we want to do in UX as well. So what are the other opportunities now that you are effectively a partner with Denison on, on some projects, some assets? Are there other opportunities in terms of their portfolio, your portfolio, in terms of being a little bit more collaborative where you're just looking at each other through clenched teeth? <laughs> well, I certainly hope it's not the clenched teeth angle. Uh, I do know short term, uh, and, and I'll say the next 12 months, uh, that that JCU, no matter what, is going to remain an entity, period. Um, and, and so we're going to manage that short term. So the idea that we're going to split it apart tomorrow, well, probably not the case. And the key reason why is those liabilities that expire in 2030 with the Japanese atomic, or Japan atomic energy agency. If we liquidate JCU's assets, it'll trigger a payment to that, uh, that liability, which is about $34.5 million going into the year. If we just let things run out over time, uh, they expire, and it's and it's basically it's a royalty agreement, right? And if you recall, it's yeah. we pay ten percent of free cash flow after recovery of all costs. And right now, we only see Leader River getting to production, and they're no we're going to come nowhere near paying that liability. So, um, at the end of the day, we don't want to trigger a liability that we don't need to pay. However, there's there's once this deal closes, there's an opportunity for for JCU via Denison and go back there and say, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what you're going to actually get out of the deal. Will you allow us to buy you out uh, and get rid of the liability? And then all the gloves come off. And we can do whatever. Properties could split the assets. They could sell the assets. They could do whatever they want. But right now, it's it's pretty restricted in the short term. Okay, okay. And you, you've indicated that having even 5%, not, not the 10%, but even 5% is important to you. Again, just explain why that is important. Well, when you look at what the Canadian uranium landscape is going to look like in the next cycle, Wheeler River is up there as one of the top three projects going towards development. So we're going to own a piece of that. Yeah, would we like to own 10% of it? Sure. We'd like to own 100% of it? Sure. But we're going to get five, which is better than zero. And we're going to own a 15% direct stake in Millennium, which is Cameco's development project to replace Cigar, which will go in the next cycle. So it makes UEX, you know, while we're not a large producer, it'll be a producer in the next cycle. 
And that's a really important, that's really important for us. We, we think that's really valuable. But why? Apart, apart from the cash flow, why, why is it important? Uh, it also changes the company's focus to being more of a developer and, 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 and producer, as opposed to being, a, a, while we have a great portfolio and a long-term sustainability, it focuses our energies on the back end of the, of, of the mining cycle and gives us opportunities to see partnerships on the front end of the cycle with all our vast portfolio of assets. We don't have to keep them all in good standing over the long term. We can, we can let a few more of the better ones go to let people work them and do some deals on them. So yeah, we'll be looking at doing that. And, and that if there's anyone out there that wants to talk to us about opportunities, we certainly have an abundance of them uh, and, 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 and would be flagship entries for most of our peer companies into the basin. So yes, we, we want to be a producer with sustainable or have access to producibility. Uh, these assets also would be, you know, if, if you're not looking at saying we want to be a producer, you always look for the price and time is right. If someone were to come and uh, talk to us, it's a great portfolio of assets to bring into a new company. So if you want to be, uh, hey, Riotinto, if you're interested in talking about becoming a, a basin player, there's a portfolio. If it's the, if it's a U.S. Um, uh, or Australian ISR producer who wants to get access to the basin, here's a portfolio of assets. So I think it gives our shareholders the maximum opportunity to see value, whether it's produce, going to production status, whether it's a someday sale asset basis or consolidator, further M&A. Uh, it just creates, it creates a greater, a more valuable company. Sure. But, but I want to dig into that. I want to help people understand why this is important. Because like you said, it's, what I said, apart from the money, because revenue is, 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 is one thing, but it doesn't give you the status because you could just sell your 5% to Denison, quite frankly, and there's a whole bunch of money. And that would allow you to carry on with your exploration type work. It, you're, you're concerned, you're concerned or you're, the opportunity you see is to change people's perception of your company's from exploration to producer, which allows you to have different conversations with who? With well, one institutional investors that are that are that are looking to play, uh, you know, the, the bigger companies. It gives us that the bigger funds. Excuse me, I'll try to tongue tie myself here. Who who need farther advanced production level ready assets to be able to 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 put money into them, uh, as opposed to being straddled in the middle where UX has been over the last couple of years with being too small for those big funds like your fidelities of the world, but being bigger than, than sort of the, the smaller boutique funds that, that would go into some of our smaller peers. And so it's about jumping into that next category. Uh, when you, when you look at our bigger peers like next gen and Denison, uh, they have a very different uh, asset to, or actually shareholder base because they can tap into that, uh, whether it be in London, whether it be in New York, uh, et cetera, or even in, in, in Toronto, some of the bigger funds. So yes, it also puts us top of mind of, of, of new investors coming into the space, whether it be ESG investors, whether it be new people thinking, I want to be in the uranium space and saying, where do I put my money in, in, in the uranium space? And, and we're now, I think we're now big enough that you can say this is a credible company to put the money in. It's liquid enough if necessary. Uh, it also provides, the, for those who aren't as familiar with the space, and don't want to be tied to a single project. Here's a portfolio of opportunities that gets you in uh, at a probably a lower cost than it would be to get into those other companies. When you look at where we're trading today, we're trading at about a dollar twenty Canadian per pound market cap, and there's peer our peers are trading at four to five dollars or higher market cap. So where our goal is to get us into that league, you know, we put us put us in, make sure that our UX is, is named beside those bigger companies, so that we see greater valuation for shareholders. So that's what this deal will help us. I think over time, it will help us get there when people understand what it actually means.
Okay, that's why I wanted you to be clear about that one, because it's not just about money. It's, it's about positioning yourself in the marketplace or, you know, being able to sort of lift yourself up to the next step, as it were. Can I just, just on Wheeler, this, this 5%, what, what does it actually mean, not in terms of status, but in terms of, are they going to be delivering, there's your 5% of ore, there's your, we, we managed the whole thing, there's your money. That, what, what does 5% actually mean on the balance sheet? On the balance sheet, it will mean they're going to get ore. Or, okay. or concentrate. Uh, now that's going to be in JCU's pocket. So then the shareholders will have to decide what to do with those, whether it'll be dividend out, which is probably the case. Or, or we could sit there and say, okay, operator, Denison, you sell our share for us and just send us the cash. It gives us an option to go either way. Okay. Okay. Now I, I wondered where that, where that would go. Um, and if you did decide to sell 5%, what do you think 5% is actually worth? Not what you guys just paid, but what was, what's the reality? Cash. Well, right now, Denison's Wheeler River project is being valued at about six thirty a pound Canadian. Wow. So you'd give a discount to that because it's a minority stake. So is it three dollars a pound? Is it uh, is it four dollars a pound? Uh, that alone is better. You know, three twenty is our break even cost for the entire purchase of all the assets for our share. So we think we think it's it's worth almost uh, 150 percent of what we're paying for the entire assets. Okay, what, what else have I got for you? I'm just trying to think. Um, I, I think we've probably burned up enough time today talking about this that you should come back on and tell us about what the company, it's business as usual for you in, in, in a way. So we do need to talk about um, that. But it, you, when you do go to the market and raise this money, are you considering, because there's been a lot of, lot of money flowing here, a lot of shares created to you and some more to be created. Are you going to think about it like a rollback at any time? Because again, the other part of this is, uh, you know, do you do what many others have done and, um, you know, think about what, what your North American, um, you know, investors can do? How do they get more access to a stock like yours? Uh, it's certainly been something we've talked about. When I look at us compared to our peers in the Athabasca Basin, our shareholder, our member shares outstanding are very close. We're not the biggest or the largest. We're not the smallest. We're probably the third of the four when you consider next-gen Denison Vision uh, and ourselves. So I'm, I'm not inclined to do it for the sake of doing it just yet till we see where things go. Uh, if we have another future substantial transaction, then yeah, maybe we're there at the point where we do that. So yes, it, but it's something we're thinking about. Uh, it, we want to see where the the summer takes us through to WNA before we make any decisions about that, because WNA tends to be the kickoff point for valuations going forward. So to do anything over the summer uh, would be, I think, premature. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Roger, let, let's let's call it a day there because I think we've, we've kind of exhausted this subject and exhausted you probably, and certainly exhausted mm-hmm. your dog in the background. So why don't we arrange for you to come back on? Let's talk about. Shea Creek and Christy Lake and, and our cobalt. And our cobalt. I, you know that question was coming up. Let's see if I got eight of them here. Um, you know what you're going to be doing because people are kind of keen to try and understand what uh, what your options are on it because the game's changed. Everything's changed, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, okay. When it comes to the cobalt angle, we're I think sooner than later we want to see that partnered out or spun out because it's a it's a much harder sell to shareholders. And to institutions say, yeah, yeah, we dabble in cobalt. We're going to raise some money, but we want to put a couple million dollars of that into cobalt. I know you're into a uranium vehicle. I know there'll be people in here for the cobalt vehicle. We want to move that one sooner than later. So 
yeah, we have people looking out for us. Hey, if you, you know, and I think we're a little less patient or a little than getting the absolute max value. We certainly want to get the value that's necessary for the spin out. But in terms of saying, well, we want to get uh, 2017 prices for, for the spin out, probably not realistic. So yes, we're, we're, we were running to let it float a little bit more than we were before because of where the company's at. Okay, brilliant. Well, I appreciate your time. So, you know, the interesting thing for me talking to you day, today is the, the, the change in tempo is clear. From when we started talking a couple of years ago, there was not much to do but sit back and kind of wait. You've, I'd like the fact you've gone on the front foot. It wasn't the deal that you wanted, but it's still a great deal. It really is a good deal that you've done. Um, I'll be interested to see if, if that change in tempo continues, that, if that, that momentum continues. Um, but yeah, um, appreciate it today and we'll, we'll see. Maybe come on in the next, I don't know, next week, next two weeks, whenever you want. Okay. I'm happy to come on tomorrow if that's what you want. So you let me know. <laughs>